Welcome back to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm Justin Mart. And I'm Catherine Wu. And today it's just you and me, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like a threat. I don't know why. Put your dukes up. We're going to get into this here. I mean, maybe this is a sorry to our listeners. It really is just my voice and Justin's voice. And yeah, talk our about... poor listeners. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we're going to talk about... Honestly, we're going to talk about everything. This is a conversation that is going to cover NFTs, marketplaces, DAOs, communities, vampire attacks, and not the Twilight kind. Um, <laughs> so buckle up. Yeah, I think the thinking is that, you know, sometimes the space moves so fast and there are events that happen here that we just want to share our hot takes. We want to share how we think about things, break down what's going on in the industry. And this week's got a really fascinating one with the emergence of a vampire attack protocol on the leading NFT marketplace. So this has been going on for the past month or so, but we think it's really interesting. We want to share how we view it. The, the other thing that I kind of like is that when we don't have a guest, I feel like um, I feel like I can disagree with you, J-Mart. <laughs> <laughs> you can always This is like me versus you, you know, and like, um, so, so yeah, trying something All new. Right. So cool. Yeah, we'll put your dukes up it. and let's get into it. All right. <laughs> So I don't want to rub salt in mentioning this again, but it's obviously been a pretty brutal few weeks for the crypto markets in general. But the one really interesting trend I've noticed and want to highlight is actually the inverse correlation between crypto prices and NFT trading volume. So in an otherwise bleak January, NFT monthly sales are like all time highs across the board. I mean, yeah, it's been a little pessimistic for, for January in the global crypto markets, but something finally breaking the peg of Bitcoin, it's exciting. It's like, hey, crypto's actually, you know, there are aspects of this this space that doesn't just fall, blindly follow Bitcoin. I know. And I think the the like bigger question around like, why are NFTs so popular and they're trading? Like we've covered the concept of NFTs before. Like we all, you know, we, me and you, I know we love our NFTs and we're avid collectors. Um, but I think like the bigger question where I want to cover is like the why and the how. Um, and I think the how probably digs a little bit more into um, what NFT marketplaces are doing to attract these volumes, um, but also like the why, which is like, uh, I think at the end of the day, like NFTs almost, I think this is proving it to be its own asset class almost. It is. It certainly is different. Um, my like naive hypothesis here is that, hey, NFTs are actually breaking into a different subset of users. It's culture. It's people outside of the crypto space. It's regular people excited about digital art. And that happens to be uncorrelated or disconnected from the broader markets. Mm -hmm. And just to underscore how crazy this is. So I'm going to give you a stat. So in January um, of this year, uh, just on OpenSea, which is a pretty big NFT marketplace, um, OpenSea processed over $4.7 billion worth of trading volume. Which is and, a lot. And the trading volume, by the way, comes from like, them taking what two and a half percent on every like transaction that happens so you can like extrapolate how many nfts people are buying and trading and selling which is insane and that that volume is not fake right sometimes in crypto it's hard to tell if it's true volume or not and if OpenSea is getting two and a half percent on every single sale okay that's a lot yes okay so maybe let's dig into like uh what you meant when you said real volume versus fake volume and whether or not this is time to bring up uh, <laughs> what we want to talk about today, which is the looks rare platform. Yeah, this is a little bit of a different take on our podcast, right? We want to actually talk about a news event and just 
chat through what it means to the industry. And what I think is really cool, though, is, you know, we encounter new things in crypto all the time. And so in this specific case, uh, we wanted to chat about this platform called LooksRare, which is a fork of sorts of OpenSea. So we've seen forks of crypto protocols before. We're going to get into what this means and what, how it all works. But this one's, again, fun and unique and interesting because, hey, we're forking a different type of platform. And so it's fun to think through all those you know, nuanced competitive dynamics with the main question in the back of my head of how is this going to play out? Like, will a fork of an OpenSea platform actually work long term? What are the factors we want to consider when we think about this? And where is it driving the NFT space? Just to define it, like looks rare is kind of like the up and coming and people are calling it the like OpenSea competitor. Um, and looks rare, by the way, I think we should mention, like, I know I cited just now that like OpenSea did like over $4 billion worth of trading volume in January. Looks rare, which is like kind of its competitor, generated over $8 billion dollars in like trading fees, which is double the size of OpenSea. And so how does the platform that's only been around for four weeks, like surpass OpenSea, which has been around for years at this point and has so many users? Like, I think that's the bigger question that people are really talking about. And our first episode on the podcast, right, that was about NFTs. And we mentioned, you know, NFTs as non-fungible tokens. It's kind of like each one is unique. Each one is a piece of art, whereas crypto tokens are like dollar bills. You can exchange them back and forth. You can actually trade the physical piece, piece of paper. But if you get another dollar back, well, it's the same value. It's the same thing. So that actually means NFT markets are structurally built differently. Okay, so looks rare. Um, if I just can use jargon for a second. So the reason why looks rare has gotten so popular is because they basically vampire attacked uh, OpenSea. And vampire attack is a specific, I think, like crypto... Maybe it's a crypto word. I, I get confused what's a crypto world and what's a real real like world term. But I think vampire attack is like a crypto thing. And it, this is happened... there a vampire attack in the real world? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think most people will think of like Twilight when I say that. Pretty um, much. But it's not about uh, falling in love with a vampire. It's a, <laughs> it's a way to uh, <laughs> onboard users onto your products. Um, and so it's just to backtrack. Let's like lay out the scene, right? So uh, summer of... 2020, uh, in my mind, is the summer of DeFi, like the summer of decentralized finance. And the term vampire attack was uh, termed back then because you can think about it as like uh, one product wants to like suck out the liquidity or the like users of another platform. And they like they cre create these like crazy incentive schemes for them to do that. So the, so the product or the company that wants to like suck up, suck out another platform's user or trading volume is the platform that does the vampire attack. Does that make any sense? It, it does. It's also, man, I'm just, I'm trying to think of like how my mom would try to understand this because it'd be really challenging people not in crypto to understand how it actually works in the back end. But you're 100% correct, right? It's this basic idea that, hey, in crypto, these are, you know, protocols that live on a blockchain or at least in some for form they live on a blockchain. And whatever lives on a blockchain is open source. People can see that code. They can generally... Control copy, control paste, and create an identical version of the exact same protocol. And so a vampire attack is just that. It's, hey, let's copy somebody else's protocol and let's try to get users to use my copy instead. And the way they vampire attack it is usually using a token of some form and saying, hey, we're going to airdrop, we're going to give out tokens on my new copy platform to people who have used the existing platform and try to get, try to use that as an incentive to come to my platform in some way, right? So as you said, summer of 2020, that was actually the original implementation of a vampire attack. And we thought through a lot of these competitive dynamics. At this point, we've got a year and a half of history to look on and see how these vampire attacks worked, right? Um, yeah. So, okay. So to break it down maybe more concretely, like how a vampire attack uh, generally works, which is that like 
sometimes you need to bring something from the competitor to bring it onto here to get rewarded, right? So like, it's a couple of things. It's like rewarding people for a certain behavior, but specifically with the intent of taking someone someone else's or like some other platforms, uh, liquidity or users. So the OG example of an, a successful vampire attack is this uh, decentralized exchange called SushiSwap. Um, and SushiSwap basically copy pasted an open source um, code that underlies another exchange called Uniswap. Um, bear with me, these are real things. So SushiSwap basically was like, okay, we want to make another Uniswap because Uniswap is doing super well. Um, but everybody already trusts Uniswap. So how do we like lure these users here? So what they did, copy pasted a uh, pretty successful protocol code, right? And launched their own. And they were like, hey, any users that want to come, you can come. And I'll, by the way, I'll reward you like tokens, which are like their own little like rewards. Um, but you can only get rewarded if you take what you already like put on Uniswap and you basically take the receipt from there and put it onto this platform. So basically you move what you already have on that into here and we'll give you like rewards in exchange. And yeah. why are we telling this story? It's because LooksRare is kind of copying that playbook. Yeah. What's what's funny is it's whenever we try to explain this, we're like, oh, wait a minute. There's actually a lot of different really complex things we have to unpack first before you could finally understand what's actually happening under the hood. What I think is interesting here, though, is exactly why people thought SushiSwap, a, essentially a copy of Uniswap, would be successful. What was missing in the Uniswap protocol that SushiSwap provided? Why did we need an alternative? Why did we feel that would actually win? The short answer is tokens. Yeah, it's probably a long answer too. Yeah, actually, yes, I know. <laughs> I paused and I was like, actually, the short and long answer are all the same. Because the thing is, like, I mean, traditional companies do this too, right? And they do this by the way of like, you refer a friend and you get ten dollars to use next time, right? Like, so, so it's not new. Like, I would almost think about it as like this is like a traditional budget if you want to think about it as like user acquisition cost, right? Share this discount code, share a ref link, and you get money back. Like. That has always worked. Like people are always incentivized to, let's say, like evangelize a product or to send ref links if they can get something back for it, right? And I think, like in an abstract way, like we're we're talking about it in these like pretty funny terms, but the behavior is the same, right? Like you can attract new users if you give them something in return. And so, like Sushi Swap did that with the Sushi tokens, and Looksware is now also doing it with the Looks tokens. So back to your initial question, right? If we are looking at Looksware versus OpenSea. Why do we think LooksRare could potentially have a shot at beating OpenSea? What's different there? Oh, they're so... Okay, so the general playbook is kind of similar, right? Which is like, number one, identify leading marketplace or identify leading player. Number two, like fork its code, right? Or like basically build the same product. Number three, bake in some sort of like reward or incentive that the, that the leading player doesn't have. That's kind of the playbook and and it's worked uh, and it has been working. And now it's working in the NFT marketplace battle. So obviously like OpenSea is the leading player and inevitably I think this will happen. And, but this is just a very like crypto way to go about like launching a competitive product. This is probably the time where we should talk a little, a little bit about the differences between a traditional crypto marketplace where you trade tokens versus an NFT marketplace where you're trading non-fungible assets. Um, so I actually just want to trace out with you the differences between these two markets, because I think that's also another reason why LooksRare thinks they can actually win here. Um, so the base of it, right? Uh, NFT marketplace. Well, I, I want to make some comparisons of how it's very similar to crypto marketplaces. And the first one is people trading NFTs. They're probably still trading it with speculative purposes in mind. 
these, you know, NFTs people are buying, they like the art, yes, but they're also thinking, oh, it could be an asset that's worth money in the future. There's future utility that could come out from this. And so by and large, I still feel like that marketplace is generally speculative. And so it's still subject hmm, to some like, you know, some sort of like FOMO, both directions, yeah. you know, speculative behavior. So I think that's a common element. I don't know if I think about it the same way hmm. to be like, so, okay. So I think OpenSea is interesting because yeah, there's a little bit of speculative element to it, but I do think a lot of the people on OpenSea do uh, want to collect art. And and by the way, you can tell this when you actually look at like on average, how much per, per user is like spending. Um, and when you look at the difference between looks rare and open seat, it's, it's like a 10 X, maybe even more difference. So like on average, so here, I actually have a data point for you. So daily volume per active user on open C is like two to 4,000 per user daily volume per user on looks rare is like two to 300,000. So that's literally like, uh, sorry, uh, my brain is like short circuit. <laughs> it's literally a lot. <laughs> like, right, like that's, so So what I mean is like, I think um, looks rare is working because it's actually attracting the like uh, speculative traders onto the NFT platforms. So like, I think collectors actually go to OpenSea because OpenSea has the brand, they trust it. And if you're just a casual collector, um, you'll use OpenSea. But I think like looks where it took off because it took all the like uh, really crazy like crypto traders and put that game into uh, what looks like an NFT marketplace. So like I kind of consider looks where as the intersection of like DeFi and NFTs. And I think of OpenSea as more just like pure NFT collection and selling yeah. and trading. Th this very well could play out. I mean, we'll get into this, I think, a little bit down the road, but um, or a little bit later. But uh, there are are more liquidity incentives on LooksRare. They added a token, and so they airdropped it to all the OpenSea users, saying, "Hey, bring your NFTs to LooksRare. We're going to give you tokens in LooksRare." And the way you claim the tokens is you actually list some NFTs for sale on LooksRare, at least one, right? The other thing they did is because if they really do want this platform to take off, they need to have trading trading volume somehow. So if you trade an NFT on LooksRare, you get tokens back. You get a, a percentage of daily rewards. So they have this giant glut of tokens that they're giving out every day, a, a decent percentage of them to anybody that trades NFTs in proportion to the volume that was traded. What ends up happening here though, is it does kind of incentivize wash trading. So if I have, if I have two wallets that I control and I trade my own NFT back and forth between the wallets, I can just do it, pump up the volume a bunch, and then I actually claim a lot of those daily rewards. Now the game these people are playing, this wash trading game is that, hey, they're betting that the tokens they get from that reward is higher than the 2% fee they're they're basically getting, uh, LooksRare is basically taking on every trade. And so they're kind of betting that, hey, this is actually gonna work out long run based on the value of the LooksRare tokens. But the actual activity on LooksRare, the majority of it is very likely not authentic. And we could we can actually see that too in the data where we see giant spikes of huge traded volume and valleys where like there's not a lot of trading volume. And also the number of users. I have some numbers here. I'm going to mm -hmm. read it to you. So okay. um, looks rare um, has done. So I like had to do a double take. Um, looks rare total volume as of today is $13 billion. As um, of 13 billion all time. Yes, total volume. Um, OpenSea in the same amount of time did five, almost 5 billion in volume, right? So that's like already a huge difference. But if you look at users, OpenSea has like 500,000 users and LooksRare only has 30K users. Yeah, yeah. And so, and the $13 billion trading volume from LooksRare has already done 3 million in transactions. Yeah, if you put all those data points on paper and look at them side by side, it kind of highlights the fact that LooksRare has a lot of large volume traders 
But if we think about the incentives, those large volume traders are just trading with themselves. They're wash trading back and forth, trying to earn those tokens. That's probably the biggest difference, right? OpenSea has, you know, it's a private company and it's got a lot of VC funding. And in fact, we were investors in OpenSea and very happy investors and we love what they're doing. Um, but it's, it's a little bit antithetical to the crypto ethos. Crypto is about decentralization. It's about community ownership. And at the heart of crypto is this idea of, hey, the incentive switch when you give your community ownership. When you let them be exposed to the upside of the protocol, give them governance rights, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, I think, the number one difference. The number two difference, though, is that in the NFT marketplace, there are some people that are a little bit, um, I don't want to use the word upset, but they're a little bit like, ooh, OpenSea could be doing better. They feel like it could be executed better. This is actually where I want to say the counterpoint. I think OpenSea is doing an amazing job. <laughs> and I think that they deserve a lot of empathy because, boy, we at Coinbase certainly know how hard it is to go through hypergrowth. And how hypergrowth strains every little faucet of your company to an insane degree, and things inevitably start breaking in weird ways. And so OpenSea is a little bit a victim of their own success, just like we were in our past. And you know, we still are working through a few things as well. Um, but nevertheless, the community looks at this and says, well, if I was OpenSea, I might do XYZ a little bit differently. And so the creators of LooksRare, who are actually two anonymous guys or girls, I don't know, um, they are very prominent NFT traders. They're very deep in the ecosystem. And they feel like, hey, they can execute a little bit better. And with the incentive of a token, the added token, they could potentially create a way to bootstrap all that volume and bring it onto their platform. That's interesting. And I think, Jamar, this is where I just feel like you're just so much more optimistic than I am. And I think it's good sometimes because <laughs> I think I'm just so much more skeptical about the sustainability of this approach. Like, I think it will work in the short term. Like, sure, you're like... I don't know that people are going to looks rare because it's like, oh, this is like community ownership. And uh, maybe, maybe they are, right? Maybe there are other Justins in the world that are like, I can live with this ethos. Um, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you're just giving out tokens. And so that's probably <laughs> it. Um, so I think like, actually for me, I'm like, I don't know how sustainable that is. Cause actually, even if you look at looks rare, like, um, since they've launched and to today, it's only been like, I don't know, a little bit over a month, but they're already rewarding a lot less than they were. And mm -hmm. I wonder as the rewards come down, because it will come down, it always comes down. Then like, do you have a community that still sticks by you and, and stays with you, even if you're not giving them like crazy amounts of rewards anymore? And like, I should note that like looks rare actually are like already trying to like peel back a little bit of the wash trading volume. So they're kind of already trying to do that. So, you know, I, I don't know how sustainable that is. And, and like, Look, if I'm taking like the Justin side and it's like, oh, I can be optimistic, like people do end up with uh, looks rare tokens and he probably will be empowered um, to eventually make decisions on the looks rare roadmap, right? That's why you want governance tokens. And so the optimistic take is that like people who stay, uh, who go over will stick around and like be attached to enough to like want something to do with its future, especially like on the design, on the features. Um, and that's the optimistic take. The, the pessimistic take is when the token money dies, nobody sticks around. <laughs> this is what's fun about crypto. We have so many cool things happening and the differences in opinion can be really fascinating to think through, right? And sometimes it does come down to your overall frame of mind and how you view, you know, things in the world. For the record yeah. though, uh, you know, I'm actually not necessarily team looks rare. <laughs> I think it's really fascinating to look at the competitive dynamics and yes. ask ourselves, boy, what are the inputs that would drive volume one direction or another? And how viable are they? I will say that I'm probably a little bit more um, open to the idea that this could work. But I think maybe now's a good point to look back at Uniswap and SushiSwap and see how they fare. Because we have a couple years of precedent there and see, hey, how did this you know, vampire attack thing work back then? What ended up happening? 
Uh, well, uh, based on what I know from following the news, um, I know that Sushi Swap sense, you know, again, like I said, you're going to give out tokens, but eventually it's just going to like come back down and then people really question what they're here for. Um, I would give a lot of props to Sushi Swap though. Like I point to Sushi Swap so often because, um, it kind of affects the way I think about my job as a like venture investor. And I'll tell you why. It's because like Sushi Swap, I think like really dug into the like, yeah, we're going to lure you over with tokens, but we're actually going to give like the holders of the tokens like a voice. And so I remember like, I think it was last year or maybe like in 2020, I, I don't remember, whatever. In the last year or two, Sushi Swap considered actually going out and like take private funding from like VCs, right? To like basically further build out their platform. Um, and they decided to do this in like a public way. So like they announced it in a forum. They're like, hey, we're gonna like sell off like uh, some of our tokens to raise money from like investors. And then like if you, and the forum's still up by the way, if you search it, uh, like just go Google like uh, Sushi Swap strategic raise. And like, just like tens of like, VCs are like in the like forums, like fighting for allocation. I've just never seen that. Like that to me was the first, like, oh my God, like when a platform is successful and they have a voice and there are people, um, it like the power dynamics switch a little bit. And like, it's the investors who traditionally have the power because they have the money, right? Who are like in these forums being like, hey, like I would love to like um, invest, I don't know, a million dollars into this. And here's like, you know, 10 bullet points of what I can do. And it's for, for the first time, it's like the, the actors with the capital who are like in like a, like a, a disadvantage in like power mm -hmm. dynamics. Yeah, it flips the investment model, doesn't it? That's yeah. a little bit what's happening in crypto. Um, you know, when you add a token and you give power to the community, then suddenly the venture capitalists who used to have the money now have to fight for their say. They have to, they have to demonstrate their value. I mean, what? <laughs> and then people um, are in the forums are like, oh no, like don't take money from these people. Like they don't know what they're doing. And I mean, I was like, I've never been more threatened in my life. I was like, holy crap. Like if an investor wants to like survive in this um, industry, like they better bring it. They better know what they're talking about. So a bit anyways, of a call out. Yeah. Totally. Like, I mean, you know, that's a tangent, but I think it's important as we think about like tokens and governance and like what that yeah. means for like the business models of these platforms. Bit, bit of a call out to our episode on DAOs where we talk about investment DAOs, right? And how that is flipping the venture capitalist model. We're seeing an example of it in Uniswap and SushiSwap potentially in LooksRare and OpenSea. However, if I go back to when SushiSwap launched, I want to note a few key things. Number one was the SushiSwap team had a founder who was anonymous which gives them some air cover from, you know, a legal perspective on tokens. They don't really want to be public and take on all this scrutiny, right? Where Uniswap's founders are public, so there's some, some consternation there. Um, but those founders were also very passionate about DEXs. They had a roadmap that they felt they could execute better than Uniswap. And to SushiSwap's credit, they've executed on that. They went through some bumps in the road. I don't know if you remember, but there was a fallout with the initial founder and there was some crazy, you know, stuff that happened. We don't need to get into that at all. But SushiSwap has pioneered a path forward. They've ended up differentiating themselves from, from Uniswap and others, and they offer a different type of DEX with meaningful differentiation, which is why they're still a valuable product today. There have been yes. other forks. Yes. I would push back though, again, I think on the sustainability, which is no matter how decentralized we want something to be, like um, sometimes it is a core group of people who make decisions and whether or not they make good or bad decisions by the community really does affect the product. And I do think like SushiSoft right now is going through a little bit of like a leadership uh, woe and I don't know. I think uh, time will tell. Like there are teams currently that I've seen put out proposals wanting to basically like come in and like take over the leadership team there. And maybe that will work. And it certainly is a very democratic way to do it. Um, but we don't really have like a like crypto is so new and these things are like at best like two years old. Right. Like that's like a 
toddler. And so like, <laughs> yeah. who knows? Yeah. You're po- pointing a little bit to the fact that centralized companies can execute better. They have a clear hierarchy. There are a few people that make decisions at the top. And whether you agree or disagree with those decisions, that's what's happening. I, I'm, I'm with you. The jury's still out. We don't know how that's going to play out. Two years down the road, though, SushiSwap is still around. What I will note is that there have been other copycat vampire attacks. Do you remember Swerve and Curve back in the day? Swerve tried to f- copy Curve. Again, two different type of DEXs. We don't need to get into the details here. But that one didn't work out. At least, I don't know. if it, I, I certainly haven't heard much about it, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll t- tweet at us or something and tell us that they're still around. But um, Swerve tried this and it didn't work out. Um, and for whatever reason, but you got to look at some of the factors here. Number one, strong team is very, very important. Number two is what are your incentives to get people to move to your forked platform? And are those incentives sustainable over the long term, what you're talking about? And those are big questions. You got to have the answers to those. The, the other thing, as we were saying, I was thinking is like uh, sustainability is not just in your tokens. It's also in your like token holders, which is your community members, right? Like, I mean, I like that we have a body of work we can refer back to. But like, you remember two weeks ago when we were talking to Alexis about a minimum viable community? Like, that's kind of like the power of like DAOs and tokens. It's like, how much do people, like I said, again, right, when the when the quick money goes, like care about this platform? Like, have you fostered enough of a like a like a group of people who like genuinely care about this platform and like genuinely want to like either evangelize it or like put their heads together and work for it or or whatever right like that really is the really crazy power that like a centralized company just like doesn't have right like so um yeah i don't know like it's a really fun like thought experiment even like seeing the looks rare uh rise because it kind of touches actually a lot of parts of like crypto history and like um different concepts that we've talked about on this podcast already. The point is just like, there are more variations of business models. There are more choices for users. And you can kind of like, you know, maybe you're more of an optimist and you care for the ethos. And maybe you're just like, ah, I'm lazy and I don't care. <laughs> and I'll pay the fee, right? Like I'll pay the convenience fee. But the point is now like we have options. Yeah, this is the fun thing about this is we actually didn't get to touch on so many other elements. For example, Coinbase is launching an NFT marketplace relatively soon. We also have the, f- the competitive fee dynamics between OpenSea and Luxrare. And, um, you know, there are, there's another thing I wanted to point out too, because we basically only analyze these two companies, but it's important to note that there's a much bigger NFT marketplace space out there that's beyond just those two companies. Um, but I, I wanted to maybe wrap this up with you and just take a step back and think about what forks mean in crypto. But I kind of have this, this nagging thought in the back of my head that forks, if they're successful, might be bad. And the reason is if you're able to fork a protocol and kill the original protocol, like wipe it out completely, that's a bad precedent because what's to stop another person from forking the forks protocol down the road. And then it's like, well, we're just going to have forks on forks on forks and the value, the value capture these protocols can, can take fees are going to end up going to zero and it's just going to kind of collapse in on itself. So on one hand, I'm like, I really hope that forks don't end up killing the original protocols because it might set a very bad precedent. On the plus side is we haven't seen that happen. Bitcoin's been forked and Bitcoin Cash is much less valuable. We've had open, uh, Uniswap get forked, but SushiSwap's still around, still very, very important, but still Uniswap's the leader. So I'm kind of wondering long-term, you know, are, is it good if a fork actually kills a protocol, number one? And number two, maybe it just won't happen anyway. What? No, that's okay. I appreciate <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, no, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's so obvious. Like if you're better, you just win. I don't know, you can copy paste it. You can be a company and you can sell one product and there'll be a thousand other companies that sell the different the same product. Doesn't matter. Just like if you're better in terms of quality or you just have better, you treat your users better, like you'll just win. So I don't know. 
Yeah, maybe the thought here in my head is... I mean, maybe I'm simplifying it, but like like you said, like, Bitcoin's been forked so many times. Like, Ethereum's been forked so many times, but like, gen the general consensus is there almost is always like one leader here. So... Yeah. And if the leader gets replaced, then the leader wasn't even that good to begin with. Yeah, the thought in my head, though, is if a leader gets replaced because, because of the introduction of a token and because maybe they can operate better from a, from a competitive perspective on fees, then it means fees will drive to zero. If fees drive to zero, then what's the value of the token? The token but gets that's the no thing. recurring value, right? That's not the sustainable yeah. then. So you so need gover governance the... has to be valuable somehow. And, you know, it's just, there, there's very interesting downstream effects here. The dominoes might start falling. So in my head, it's like, man, I'm not really sure if I like the idea of a fork killing the original protocol just because of these long-term downstream effects. But to your point, hey, maybe it's a good thing if, if people <laughs> perform, you know, create a better protocol and that's all that really matters in the long run. <laughs> Is this a case where maybe you're overthinking? Maybe or maybe I, yeah, I'm just thinking it too simply. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that would be my take. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like, look, just with a, this is a short, this is a case study, but we covered, like, we sort of covered the DeFi wars. We sort of covered vampire attacks. We covered NFT marketplaces. We touched on DAOs. We touched on uh, how important your community is. So um, not bad for, like, you know, a 30, 35 minute <laughs> conversation. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I think too, you know, if, if I were to take just like a sober look at how I think this is going to play out, I want to, I want to reiterate that, that none of, nothing we say here is investment advice. Um, we certainly have no crystal ball. We don't know how it's going to play out. Um, but I will note a learning for me, uh, participating in Coinbase Ventures for the past couple of years. One of my failings, I think in the past was that I wasn't actually open to how things could go right in the past. I wasn't optimistic enough, even though you say I'm optimistic. Um, because I feel like as a VC, my initial focus was always what could go wrong and try to poke holes in something and, and find reasons not to invest. But the corollary is just as important find reasons why it might be successful. Look at the upside, look at the total market. And so if you look at the case of LuxRare or any other entity marketplace for that, for that matter, if they're able to find a competitive differentiating uh, platform with better incentives and are able to take some percentage of market share, maybe not all, maybe not even a small part, but you know, something. And so something to consider is just what could go right in these things. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Around the Block from Coinbase. Make sure to subscribe uh, wherever you listen to this and obviously a review or questions or comments and feedback are always super, super welcome. Um, you can do it in the form of a rating. You can tweet at us. Uh, you can uh, find us on the internet and tell us what we're missing and what you would like to hear next. We also have our webpage, coinbase.com slash around the block. You'll find all prior episodes and some deep long form research on the topics we're discussing. So yeah, I mean, we're all about community. We want to talk about community, understand what's happening in crypto, and we want you guys to be part of this too. So reach out to us, give us a review, click the rate button, and we'll get back to you. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.